you know um right the podcast that uncovers the origin stories of some of the biggest names in sports media entertainment entrepreneurship authors and so much more nick durst here along with joe calabrese and joe we have a great guest for our, our audience today i know you're very excited the two of you are probably very on the same wavelengths when it comes to being spiritually intertwined and whatnot. So we're going to uncover all that. Tell everybody who we have with us here today. Yeah, we're going to beat it over the head, uh, beat it over your head and, and get you on board finally. Uh, but our guest today is leading expert on personal growth and human evolution. Uh, he's the CEO of David Bayer Businesses. Uh, their mission is to basically turn uh, individual personal journeys of trial and tribulation and transmute that into eventual business success. Uh, he's had a prolific career in entrepreneurship uh, and has been a leader uh, at any venture that he's taken part in. Uh, he recently became an author. Uh, his book, A Changed Mind, Go Beyond Self-Awareness, Rewire Your Brain and Engineer Your Reality. Uh, you can buy it anywhere. You can buy it on Amazon. Uh, so we'll get to pick his brain about his book a little bit. Uh, but we welcome David Bear to the show. David, welcome. How are you? Joe, Nick, it's awesome to be here. I appreciate it. I didn't know that we were going to have a conversion experience for Nick. So this is this is a good a good frame for that. I well, have something. Wait, wait, no, no, no. I have something to start out with just this morning. Uh, a recent interview that we did was exactly 11 minutes and 11 seconds. And Nick said, I forgot what he said, but he, it basically didn't work for him and he paid no mind to it so right off the bat Dave, we gotta we gotta explain to him how that is a meaningful sink in his life well it's it's interesting that you bring that up it makes me feel like i'm becoming like an angels number guy when we talk about it but you know the the number i pay attention to is 33 and it's probably by no coincidence that yesterday my wife finally said have you seen how many 33s we've run into on the road nick is and a 33 it, life path too am i 33 life path he's a master about, he's a master uh manifester and he doesn't even know it gets he doesn't his, even know it gets so, in his own way we got to teach the, him we well, hopefully we will. We've we've got enough time, but um, it really is wild because it's not as if you know I'll be driving on the highway, not paying attention to a single car for an entire hour, and then happen to glance to the right as you know a thirty three drives by. So I do think there is something not that we necessarily want to dive super deep into it because I know part of what you were saying was tongue in cheek, Joe. But you know everything is vibration, everything is resonance. There's a magnetic quality to it, and I think whether it's a 33 or whether it's a hummingbird or whatever it is that you sort of decide as an indicator for you that, you know, of good luck or that you're on the path. I, I think, I think there is an intelligence in the universe that has, certainly has the capacity to have those things show up to remind us that we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. I was kind of buying in. I kept seeing 11, 11 for about two weeks. And then I was, I just said to my wife, I said, I don't know. I think this is like a warning sign for me. Something bad's going to happen the next day. Something bad did happen. So I don't know. For me, I think it kind of worked in the reverse way, but we'll see. My fingers crossed that something works out here for me and and it's all uh, written. Well, and it's great. That's certainly evidence for what I think we're going to dive into, which is you're creating your own reality. It's just that Joe believes that these are good signs, signs of good fortune and auspiciousness. And you actually have this impending sense of doom for some reason around 11-11, but we can unpack it. All right. We'll I'm going to love this. Well, you're see. a powerful creator like joe said except he's creating the opposite of what he wants to create unintentionally there we go let's get into it so david and maybe you're holistic in this sense but 
if you ever have like a muscle ache or a headache, what brand of aspirin or Tylenol are you taking? Well, this is, you know, you're now wor you're working against my 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 family name because I'd like to say Bayer. <laughs> but but I'm 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 more of an ibuprofen Advil kind of guy because if I do have a headache and I do take meds, I want to get rid of that thing as quickly as possible. Yeah. All right, fair enough. You knew exactly where I was going with that. I knew where uh, you were going. <laughs> All right. So we talked a little about this before we started the call, but you attended Columbia University. You also were a prolific high school basketball star. You played basketball at Columbia University. What did you study at Columbia, Ivy League school? And was this a scenario where you went there because you were a good basketball player and you got the Ivy League education? Or is it a scenario where you could have played basketball maybe at a, a more competitive school, but you decided, hey, this is something where the academics are going to pay off in the long term? I, I had solid basketball skills uh i thought about it was really between ucla and columbia and i think i probably would have had a good chance to walk on at ucla uh i don't know how much you know playing time i would have gotten but what i realized when i was playing uh, at columbia that was a real transition that, that this wasn't it really wasn't who i was i think a lot of it was you know i'm six foot eight maybe six foot seven after a couple of herniated discs and and so I was just sort of led to go in and, you know, play basketball. It was the thing to do. And I was pretty good at it. But, you know, for to be fully honest, like I didn't love banging around with the big guys underneath the hoop, you know, so I, I, there was a lot of transition that took place for me, you know, in college and beyond. I played up until my junior year and then I had an injury uh, that just required too much uh, therapy in order for me to want to stay in the game. Um, but I also wanted a, a, a high level of education. I thought that I was going to write um, screenplays, which I may do someday and create movies. Uh, but I ended up getting into comparative literature, creative writing, philosophy. And I didn't know it at that time, but I could see how that sort of set the stage for the work that I'm doing, you know, today. So the foundational work was created then. Uh, what we want to do is we want to kind of condense uh, everything that you've done uh, over the course of your career uh, into one question. So you're the president of popwall.com, director of business development at Ducati Motorcycles, Broadband National, and the president of Data Bank, right? So walk us through your time after Columbia, uh, the initial process of what you did afterwards, and step-by-step uh, step, uh, at all those places that I just mentioned. I started a business right out of college. Uh, I, I It was in 1998. There was one place that we went to in the city where we would buy all the cool stuff for our dorm rooms. And I had this idea of putting this guy's inventory on the internet and, and building an e-commerce site and getting reps at colleges across the country. And so I put together a business plan. I pitched some venture, early venture companies. Nobody really bit. My dad liked the idea. He invested in it. So for about a year and a half, I built this online e-commerce store that you know got to a point that it was doing low six figures in business. But I played a collectible card game called Magic the Gathering, which is kind of Pokemon for nerdy adults. And at a tournament, I met the general manager of Ducati North America. And so we ended up building this friendship. And he says, you know, you have this nice e-commerce business, but, you know, we're going to start up Ducati.com and sell the first motorcycle on the Internet. Like, why don't you let your partner keep running this business and, and come to Italy and help us? You know, we don't know what we're doing on the Internet. So it was an amazing opportunity. Uh, and I went. My partner kept running our e-commerce business. Eventually, I just divested myself of it completely. And I went over to Italy. 
led the internet strategy for that business, obviously a great brand. And we sold the first motorcycle on the internet. We did $70 million in two years. We were the seventh highest grossing e-commerce site in all of Europe. And it was an amazing experience. And I, and I leveraged that to come back to the States and, um, was doing some consulting uh, that was internet based because the internet was still very early in 2002, 2003, 2004. And in 2005, I started getting into search engine optimization. So I, I was smoking a lot of pot. I was studying patterns uh, in search engine results. And I, I sort of discovered local search before it was a thing. And I hired a web developer to build me a mortgage lead generation website that had a page for every city in the country. And within 90 days, uh, I was generating $100,000, $200,000 a month in, uh, in mortgage leads. And so I took that model and I raised $4 million for the company you mentioned called Databank, uh, which was a search engine optimized financial services lead generation network. And around 2009, when you know the markets tanked, Google was getting smarter. And so it became more complex to consistently rank across all of those terms. And what was coming to a head was my drug, my alcohol, and my pornography addiction. So there was sort of this, this vector intersect between me wanting to be successful and um, chasing success that I realized in hindsight was to feel better about myself and never really resolving all of the emotions and the tra traumas that were driving that behavior and then having money right and having exposure to to substances and to women and to the internet and so that was really like the turning point in my life was was when i when i started working a 12-step program and we can certainly talk about like all the things that emerged as a result of that but you know it was 10 years of really focusing on being a success in business and then a major breakdown and then a transition and really trying to be successful as a human being yeah and a lot of your career took you all over the place so i'm sure different places had you know more challenges than others some of the places you loved i mean you lived in some some of the most major places that are hot spots in the world really so you mentioned italy lived in New York for college. You spent some time in Orlando in the swamp uh, down there with the alligators. Now you're in Puerto Rico. So give us some pros and cons to each of those stops along your journey. Italy was a blur. Uh, and again, I think you give a young person a lot of responsibility, an exorbitant amount at that time of money and access. You know, I look back and, you know, it was people always say, well, that must have been an incredible experience. And it was like, well, yeah, but I wasn't really present to it. Um, you know, I, I could have seen a lot of Europe at that time. I didn't. I was working and I was partying. That was pretty much it. Um, Orlando was a great transition for me. And I like Orlando. You know, it's it's sort of like a Starbucks. You always know what you're going to get when you go back to Orlando. There's nothing particularly remarkable about it, but it was a great home base. And then as we built the company we have today, David Bear Businesses and Whole Human, um, we've, we're doing seminars all over the world. And so it's, it's this integrated experience where my wife and I are building something that we're passionate about that's incredibly lucrative for us while we're able to help other people and you know, uh, go to go to Antigua, Guatemala, or Lake Louise, Canada, or the Four Seasons, Lake Tahoe, or Vail, or Colorado Springs, or 
God, we've done so many events in in Mexico. We took a group of 50 people from one of our programs to India in April of this year. A few years ago, we went to Machu Picchu. And so now, you know, like we really are living living this extraordinary life. And the thing I really appreciate is it's not like I'm trying to get a bunch of shit done so that I can then go live my life. But, you know, by the grace of a higher power, like it, it has become my life. And some of that was intentional, right? Through through the through the work that I did, you know, really getting clear that my life wasn't working and what I didn't like about my life, you know, springboarded me into having, I think, a level of clarity about what I wanted to create. And the things that, you know, Joseph started to open up around, you know, 1111, like understanding that I'm a powerful creator and how powerful the mind is and that I we can create whatever life, you know, or vision that we have. So it's it's been an amazing ride. And I think it's just going to keep getting more and more exciting. And I did get to take my wife back to Italy once I was sober and experience it. Um, and it's just one of the most beautiful, enjoyable places I've ever been to in the world. By the way, we left New York off the list. But going to school in New York, in the city, at Columbia, as an Orange County, California kid, was an unbelievable experience. You know, if you've ever been up to the Columbia College campus, you're you're right in the middle of Upper West Side, just before you hit Harlem and Morningside Heights. But when you're on campus, you just you feel like you're in this in this bubble, um, and it's and it's awesome. The history there uh, at that time, the education that I got, the, the people I went to school with, they just. I feel very, very fortunate to have the experience that I had in my life, even though there were some really challenging things that I went through as well. Yeah, the upper area of Manhattan kind of seems to be its own entity itself. That's yeah, like yeah absolutely different than the other five boroughs. It's very, very absolutely. weird. It's hard to explain to somebody who hasn't been a part of that. Yeah. Uh, but we'll get to more fun stuff in a minute. Want to talk to you uh, about your time as CEO uh, for ChamberofCommerce.com. Mm hmm. Yeah. So as I was, I was, I was building this financial services lead generation network. Um, one of the things that we became very, very good at was search engine optimization. And there were these, these domains or these website URLs that were just sort of sitting dormant that were great names. They had a lot of authority as far as Google was concerned. And there was one in particular chamberofcommerce.com that a lot of sites were linking to as if it was the U S chamber. And so I spoke at a domain development conference sharing at that time my expertise around search engine optimization. And a gentleman came up to me at the end of my talk and said, hey, I want to I want to work out a deal where you develop out my domains. And so that was a really cool project because it was basically a landing page that so many sites on the internet were linking to. And we utilized the technology that we had developed to basically turn it into a big yellow pages with, you know, 100,000 business listings and 30,000 cities. And man, that thing lit up like a Christmas tree. I mean, it, it went from generating a couple thousand visitors a month to a couple million visitors a month within a couple of months. And so um, that was a really cool experience. Uh, I, I exited out of that relationship. In fact, um, I was able to sell the contract to a former employee of mine, which was part of my transition as I was like, hey, you know, I'm I'm kind of done trying to make money off the internet. I want to go do something that feels a little bit more meaningful and that actually helps people and makes the world a better place. Because that whole model was show up in search results, somebody clicks on a search result, lands on your website, and then you hope they click on an ad that Google's running on your website to go somewhere else, right? So you're basically just an intermediary. Um, there wasn't anything inherently valuable in the work that 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 we were doing, you know, so um, as opposed to the, the work that we're doing today. A lot for us to think about, Joe, if we launch 
you know, I'm right.com and figuring out how you want to play that up there. But you, you make that transition from being in the internet game, you know, it's sleazy. It's all about the click throughs and everything like that. So now you're going to do some meaningful work. So how did you make that transition to becoming a life coach? What was the process like for you to feel comfortable in, in your own skin of being able to communicate with people and talk about your past experiences. How did you make the transition then to doing those public speaking engagements? Any nerves there? And ultimately Joe mentioned at the top, becoming an author, writing your book. What was that process like there? Yeah, for me, there's been nerves the whole time. So, you know, I, I met my wife in 2012 and that was as I had like a year and a half of sobriety under my belt. I hadn't been in a relationship for probably five years. And it was actually uh, around Christmas time uh, that year that I had made a decision that I was going to meet a beautiful Colombian woman and make her my wife. And about 11 days later, I met Carol in Sarasota, Florida, uh, who's from Bogota. Joe, keep, keep that in mind. You're looking for a beautiful Hispanic woman as well. So it, it all it all comes down to a decision. And um, and I had just been working on myself. You know, I started, I started, I was, I was working a 12 step program, which is an incredible technology for becoming more self-aware. Um, and then I got into personal growth and then I felt like I got stuck in personal growth. I was like, well, I know all this stuff and I've, I've had some incremental improvements in my life, but especially when I turned to like different spiritual teachings, I read the autobiography of a yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda the, the promises of scripture, whether it's the Quran or the Bible or the Eastern teachings, um, metaphysics, you know, it was this idea. Napoleon Hill has got the best-selling business book in the history of the world, right? What's the book about? It's not about business at all. It's about how thoughts create your reality. And so I knew that I was getting stuck somewhere in between. Like I had done this personal growth stuff, but there were still some patterns of thinking, patterns of emotions, that I wasn't able to change. And so I kept experiencing these patterns of experiences in my life. Um, you know, there'd be some change, but I'd hit the upper ceiling and drop back down. Um, good things would happen, but they wouldn't stay very long. And so I just really became obsessed, kind of like I had with everything else in my life, with, with human potential and with understanding as best as I could how reality works. You know, Einstein says reality is an illusion, albeit a persistent one. And so, you know, we, 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 we experience reality through our five senses, but you know, you could go back to sixth grade science class, like Joe's Joe ain't even there. Joe's made up of a bunch of atoms, which are mostly space yet. We experience a very physical Joe. So I, I just really wanted to understand how it all worked. And as I pursued a deeper understanding, I developed distinctions that were helping me in my life. And I'd start sharing them with other people. And so my wife was watching this and she says, you know, your friends are, you're really impacting your friends' lives. I'm like, no, we're just having dinner. She's like, no, like so-and-so came in with this issue. And now I don't think they have that issue anymore. And then people started just saying, Hey, you know, that conversation we had really impacted me and sharing with me the change that they had. And then it really occurred when I came home from Orlando international airport to downtown Orlando Carol was walking my Chihuahua Dexter down at the bottom of our condo and I got out of the car and the Uber driver came out crying and gave me a hug and said, you know, you've just, you've changed my life forever. And I just helped him see that he had these limiting beliefs that he had to get all these things done before he could be present for his children, rather than realizing that by being present for his children, he'd be able to get all these things done. And that's what happens. We get it, we get it backwards. And so we end up missing out on life and missing out on 
you know, the, 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 the promise that in many ways we can have it all. So my wife encouraged me to do a one day workshop. Uh, I invited some people and friends of friends and 23 people showed up in a classroom in winter park, Florida, back in 2014. And I taught everything that I knew at that time. And I took people through some exercises and some awarenesses and some tools. And I said, thanks. And I just started gathering my stuff at the podium. And there was a line of 23 people who all came up to me and said, this changed my life forever. So we decided, look, I think we need to create, I guess what people would call a business out of this. And, um, and so we, we took a lot of courses, tried a lot of things in 2015, 2016. It felt like nothing was working. We almost gave up. Um, and then, and then we decided we wanted to do a live event. We hired a consultant to help coach us on how to fill a live event. And the consultant said, listen, your goal should be 50 people who come to your live event. And we ended up having our first live event with 350 people. And then at the next event, we had 550 people. And at the next event, we had 810 people. And then at the event, the weekend COVID hit, we had 1,200 people. And what we found was that the, the journey I had gone through, and by the way, Nick, like I think I've always been really transparent and authentic. I just, certainly after 12-step, I just don't know how else to be. I don't feel like there's anything to you know, be ashamed of. And it's, it's pretty cool. Like when I talk about my sex addiction or my pornography addiction, when I speak on stage, like I spoke to at a Raymond James annual event to financial advisors, dudes will come up to me afterwards and say, Hey, I'm struggling with that. Okay, cool. Like now we're in conversation and I can point them to some resources, but whether it's my limiting beliefs or whether it's my substance abuse, it's just always been who I am. But, um, I've, I've, I've felt friction the entire way. Uh, every step of this journey has been incredibly uncomfortable for me. Right. From from stepping on stage in front of 350 people and running my first three day live event, like never having done it before to, you know, writing my first book and putting it out there and, you know, still having that part of me that wonders if it's good enough or if I'm going to be criticized to what I'm doing right now with my podcast. You know, we launched our podcast just a couple of months ago and I go through the same things everybody else goes through in terms of the inner dialogue. I, I just, I understand it. I've developed a relationship with it. And so most of the time it doesn't deter me from doing the things that I, 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 I want to do in order to become the person that I envision for myself. I hope that was clear. No, it was very, very clear. Uh, so I want to start talking more about the relationship that you have with your wife uh, as a partner, right. In all facets of life. And this kind of leads me into the next question that we have here on our rundown about the law of attraction. Uh, you said you were going to meet your wife, right? And then very shortly happened. Uh, it actually happened right after, right? So that only happens when you have such a concrete, solid vision of what you actually want in your life. And it seems to me just by talking about your business and, and, and the purpose of your business, uh, it seems like she is there for you basically in, in all regards, you know, she's exactly what you want to be. Uh, so talk to her, uh, talk to us about going into business with her, the presence that she has in, in your life, uh, from the time that you met her up until now. Yeah. So, um, we, we, we all have special skills and, uh, and I believe that every single person, and, you know, my, my special skill is I have a way of taking these complex concepts around how the universe works um, or how our limiting beliefs work and distilling it down into frameworks that people can access and understand in a deeper way. Um, Carol's has a lot of skill sets, but one of those is faith. So she's been a real mentor and teacher for me in terms of 
believing, believing in myself, uh, believing um, when there isn't necessarily evidence to justify the belief. Uh, and she, she still coaches me on it. You know, in, in, in the Bible, Moses was told by the burning bush to go and speak to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh that he had to let the, the Hebrews go. And Moses said, Hey, like, I, that's not me. I, I can't do that. I, he wasn't particularly gifted with speech. And he's like, Hey, don't worry. I'll give you Aaron. Your brother's an incredible orator. And so he'll help you and he'll speak to Pharaoh on your behalf. Like Carol was my Aaron who showed up because I didn't come from a faith-based background. And so much of what we're creating together now is, is, is precedes any evidence <laughs> that poss could possibly support the vision that we have. You know, when I met Carol, I had two homes in foreclosure and around $2,500 in my bank account and a business that looked like it was going to go under. Um, there was, there was no evidence for me deciding that I was going to have a, an incredibly abundant, prosperous life, that I was going to have a private plane, that I was going to have a dream home in Puerto Rico, that I was going to, any of the things that were material or immaterial, that anything that I would say would matter to thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. So she's always been reminding me of that. She's also an incredible business operator. So, you know, there's no coincidence that we came together with this common vision of creating what, what we've created because, I could never do the operational things that she's doing and she could never do the coaching things or like a lot of the curriculum things that I'm doing. Although she's been a major part of the design of some of our frameworks too. Oftentimes she's like, Hey, I have a message for you. She's like, I don't know what it means, but you need to know what it is. I remember before one of my big events, she drew it out on a flip chart. She's like, I'm not sure what it is, this is, but it kind of came to me in my meditation. And it was exactly what I was looking for as a missing piece in the frameworks that I was teaching. So we're, we're definitely a unified soul. And, you know, we, we also, we, we challenge each other. We challenge each other consciously and unconsciously. So, you know, all of my shit comes up with, with more with my wife than anyone else, my wife and my business. Um, and, and I trigger her. And when you actually understand that that's a good thing, because what's coming to the surface is what's inside of you, that it's not that your partner is doing anything wrong, but that there's something inside of you that's ready to be healed or transformed or expanded upon, you know, then you're able to navigate through those things and, and really grow. Um, and that was a big shift for me. You know, I think a lot of what I was looking for before I met Carol and like my, my, my pre Carol Gutierrez bear days, you know, I just wanted somebody who would agree with everything that I would say, who was, you know, easy, sweet, compliant, you know, but, um, uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade those dynamics that I have with Carol for the world. And and recently I've been really focused on what do I need to do to be more of a man in our relationship? You know, there's a whole body of work around really taking ownership of your masculine, of making your 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 partner or your woman feel safe so that she can be free to be feminine, of really stepping into my king. And that's not something that's not where I came from. You know what I mean? Like my dad wasn't a king. I didn't have king role modelship. Most of us men don't. Um, and so that, that's a whole nother part of my journey that's emerging, but, you know, being in, being able to be in business with my wife and to be able to, it, sometimes it's funny to call it a business, right? Like to be creating this vision together and this mission together, man, it's such a blessing. It's such a blessing because we have a lot of people who get into our coaching programs where the thing is, is like, Hey, my partner's not really on board with this. They're not really in alignment with it. And we're able to coach them through that. Um, to work on what the trigger is inside of them in that experience. And oftentimes it opens up their partner to change and the partner does align. Um, but I'm very, very fortunate that we have a shared vision. And those Central and South American women, they're tough. 
they're very very tough so yeah well you know guys. it's it, it and it's cultural right i mean carol came over here with you know her story was 20 dollars in a suitcase and her mom and, you know, Carol was was one of seven people admitted in her class to the top engineering school. She was the only girl in Columbia. She's brilliant. She's a hard worker. She was on the collegiate water polo team. You can imagine, like, how, how tenacious you have to be to do water polo. And so, but they wanted a better life. So they come over to the Sarasota Bradenton area of Florida. And she ha she gets a job working at 7-Eleven speaking no English. And she talked about how the night she would go home and cry because, you know, someone would come in and, and yell at her because she didn't understand the flavor of the pack of cigarettes that they were asking for. Um, and and and, to, and we see that, right, with so many immigrants. It's like they excel at what they're doing. And then they have to come over here and take the jobs that most of us wouldn't want or would be unwilling to take. But it's actually working through that process that allows them to become so dominant you know, eventually in business, in leadership, in, in whatever it is, in their expertise. So yeah, she's pretty amazing. Tough, tough ladies. Of course. Absolutely. I love hearing that. And it seems like one of those things that you're continuously working on uh, is achieving that perfect balance. Now, perfection, it's something that you always chase. You know, ideally, you want it, you never really attain it. But I want to talk conceptually about balance, because I think one of the biggest things regarding the understanding of the universe is balance. Yin, yang, black and white, hot, cold, right? Everything that Katy Perry sang about. But I want to talk about specifically, because in your book, you mentioned uh, specifically your parents. You said your mother was a worrier and your dad kind of just never worried about anything. He He always had the answer to everything, right? Uh, so in that sense, it seems like opposite tract, right? So walk us, walk Nick and I through and our listeners about how understanding how polarity works, how opposites work, uh, is in incredibly important, uh, to what we do here and to achieving uh, a higher level of understanding, so to speak. So using the example of my mom and my dad, yeah, my, my mom and my dad attracted each other because everything is energy. And um, they had a lot of unprocessed wounds and trauma. So my my mom uh, came from a mother who uh, left uh, Nazi Latvia at that time. She married my mom's father who was in the military. So she was a uh, a war bride um but but what i understand is that my grandmother literally told my mom that you know she was worthless and she wished that she was never born so my mom um never felt like she was good enough and she was a people pleaser and she always worried that she was going to do something wrong and so that was a perfect match for my dad who was a critical thinker, judgmental, a problem finder, problem solver. His dad was the kind of guy who um, there was a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. And the right way to do thing was whatever my grandfather decided. So there was no logic to it. And so my dad adopted those programs from his dad. So both of my parents are adopting these programs and they're a perfect match to your point. There's a balance uh, but what, what was matching was dissonant energy, 
right? My mom feeling like she's not worthy, attracting a husband that would make her feel unworthy. Um, and then my dad had the opposite match, a, a similar type of, you know, parallel with my mom. I'd have to say, you know, my dad never felt like he was doing enough. And my mom would constantly nag him or ask him to do more. And eventually that created their separation. What we want to do is we want to be able to heal those kind of limiting beliefs or childhood traumas or programs that are dissonant into their resonant forms. You know, the reason why I, I think I'm as vulnerable as I am and I care about people as much as I do and I have an open heart is because um, that's that's the resonant form of what my mom was struggling with. You know, she wanted to be good for other people, but felt like she was never good enough. She loves and cares about people, but was always afraid that she would be criticized. And so I got I got the same thing from my dad, right? Like I was a critical thinker, but over time, critical thinkers become critical people. And so, and I was critical on myself. And what that's taught me to 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 do is to be able to relax a little bit more, to not be so tight in how I use my analytical mind, to be a little bit more faith-based and to trust a little bit more people and life. So, um, you know, I, I think that each and every one of us have come into this life who, who gets led to personal growth and spiritual awareness to, to transform these dissonant energies that are programs that have been passed on from generation to generation and generation and generation. And the universe is balanced to your point. So if you're, if you're holding limiting beliefs or you haven't, you know, processed or fully metabolized experiences from your childhood that we may call traumas, then you're going to be attracting circumstances and situations in your life that are going to reflect those limiting beliefs, low self-esteem, money's hard to make, there's not enough time, you can't trust people back to you. But that's actually a really good thing because when you understand how the game works, you realize that these experiences you're having are not causing you to feel or think a certain way. You've been thinking and feeling this way for a long, long time, which is why you created this experience. And so people say to me, well, look, if my beliefs are creating my reality, which like that's not the groundbreaking, you know, announcement that David Bear has, right? Napoleon Hill can do that one. Or you can go back to, you know, to scripture, right? In Romans, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, or you shall you shall reap what you sow. Like the, these things are have been around forever. But if you were to say, hey, I know I'm creating my own reality through my thoughts, and we can talk about how that works, how do I become more aware of the thoughts that are creating the experiences that I don't like? I would say, well, notice the experiences you don't like and pay attention to your reaction to them because your reaction to them is actually what caused the experience. It's not an effect of the experience. Does that make sense? Makes sense to me. We got to make it make sense to Nick. So let's let's close the circle here because yeah. I want to finish off with Nick and then we'll we'll start to wrap this up. So how can we get Nick um, to buy into the fact that just because he you don't see results necessarily appearing in, in your reality uh, that you are on the right track that you are aligned that your 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 the decisions that you are making are aligned with who you are and, and what your purpose is and. Uh, even though you're not quite there yet, you're on your way there. How can we get him to appreciate the journey as opposed to the destination uh, and all that? Well, I think we want to formulate the right question. Are we wanting Nick to believe more in the power of the imagination and the magic of life 
and the science of synchronicity? Or are we wanting Nick to enjoy his life more? Because Nick would first have to tell me he's not enjoying the journey and he's too focused on the outcome, right? So those are two very different prescriptive things. If somebody is saying, hey, I want to learn how to enjoy the journey more. I'm so focused on the outcome. That's one answer. If another person says, hey, I'd like to be open to the idea that there's a magic to life and to understand how this infinite intelligence works in and around me so that I can operate more in alignment with it and create more in my life. That's a different conversation. What do you think it is? Or we can ask I, Nick. I think Nick loves his life. He recently became a father. His wife is an amazing human being. His family is amazing. We've got great friends. So I think on a day-to-day -day basis, he, he enjoys his life. Like I said, I think it's just more about him taking the, like a little of that pressure off because he, he he wants to see this thing like succeed in the worst way. And he wants to see it blow up and he wants to see all the the, the fruits of his, his labor. So one of, one of the things I would, if I was going to teach one equation that was going to guide you in effective operation in your life, uh, it would be this equation, which we, if we have time to unpack, we unpack it. If we don't, we don't. I've got a whole podcast episode on a changed mind. I think it's episode uh, episode three that breaks this down. But it, it's this equation, if we we're going to simplify everything, desire plus non-resistance equals desired result. So if you have a desire, and you don't have any resistance to it, you'll have thoughts in alignment with that desire that'll catalyze emotions inside of you that'll motivate action. And so you'll be taking aligned, intelligent action that if given enough time, is 100% guaranteed to produce the desired result. It doesn't matter if Henry Ford wanted to create the automobile. It doesn't matter if Elon Musk wants to send rockets to Mars. It doesn't matter if David Baer wants to become president of the United States in 2032. It doesn't really matter what it is. Desire plus non-resistance equals desired result. And that's not some sort of like new age woo-woo. That's a fundamental understanding, number one, of how behavioral psychology works, that your brain is a goal-achieving machine and it's operating in very practical ways off of what you believe. And it's also a metaphysical understanding that we hold vibration inside of us and the emotions that we experience are catalyzing coincidences and synchronicities in our life. And so we're either in a resistant vibration or we're in a coherent vibration. And so that would open up the conversation for Nick because anytime you're feeling resistance, you're moving into some form of a negative emotion, right? Stress, anxiety, boredom. And so we're, we're being counterproductive to the materialization of the desire, right? And so that's a really good starting point. And the other thing is, and this isn't really about Nick, right? But it's for anyone who says, I'm open to this. There's such a power to it. I'm open to thinking differently. I, I want to know if this is real, if this is true. I, I'd like to find a better way to create even more without the hustle, without the grind, without the stress, without the anxiety, without the overwhelm. Now, we're not talking about you sit at home with a bag of cheesy poofs between your legs and just expect a million dollars to show up at your front door. That's not what I'm talking about. But there's a more elegant way to be creating in our life in alignment with this extraordinary intelligence that governs the environment, it governs the solar systems, it governs our bodies, it governs everything. And I think that that's an important investment to make for anybody who wants to do more, be more, have more, and to experience the journey in a more joyful way. Nick, are you convinced yet or no? We'll see what the universe says. I mean, <laughs> these things take time. That's great. I love it. I love it. That sounds like massive progress. Yeah, no, he's he's almost there. It all I, depends uh, on the zodiac sign and the moon, right, Jeff? 
Oh yeah, that's right. I uh, I'm an astrology guy, Dave. If you haven't figured that out, I am a kooky person. So uh, I like to ask the astrology sign uh, for specific guests. So recently, I've kind of just stumbled into people's birthday, so it wasn't really a, like a true guest or anything. Um, but your zodiac sign, right? I'm trying to. I don't know. Nick, well, let's Nick guess first because Nick guesses are, a lot of you, them. Oh, right. you're trying to tune into it. I got you. Okay. Yeah. Nick, what do you think his zodiac sign is? Because you're the one who always guesses this correct on the first shot. I can't figure out how he does it. Uh, I really don't know. I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess. Uh, I'll just go with a Leo. I don't know. Yeah. You got it. Oh, get out of here. Get again. No clue, John. I'm a, no, I'm a July. I'm a July Leo. A July Leo. Well, look, this closes the loop where we started it, where Joe said, look, Nick is so in tune. He just doesn't actually realize it. He doesn't realize it. Right. He's a a 33 life path and he doesn't he doesn't even realize what he was blessed with. It's unbelievable. He he thinks he stumbles onto everything. I don't think he stumbles onto everything. I just think it's like you're like he gets fed information and he doesn't even realize he's getting fed the information. Very powerful. Very it powerful. is very powerful. He doesn't realize how powerful it is. It's our job to convince him how powerful he is. It's very powerful, Nick. Powerful. Are you convinced? How powerful yeah. Gemini, I guess. Yes. Yeah. There sense. you are. There you are. So the other thing that's powerful is what everybody who's successful or has made it in some point to happiness in their life. A powerful question they have to ask themselves and answer is, what is your you know I'm right moment? What I mean by that is a time or place, David, where you wanted to ask somebody for advice. You do. You wanted to pursue something. They said, don't do that. That's a terrible idea. That'll never work. And you say to them, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. And ultimately, you will see why it is that I'm right. Boy, that that's a really tough one for me, Nick. I feel like I've been so fortunate to have champions around me throughout my whole life. In fact, I get those Instagram reels where someone's yelling at someone about, you know, the people aren't going to go along with you and they're not going to agree with you and you got to just go get new friends and you got to. And I'm like, I don't, I can't, I can't think of, of any, anyone, even my parents with what I've shared with you in terms of their programs and how they operated and God bless them. I love both my parents, you know, were, were, were hesitantly endorsing of of almost everything that I did. Um, man, I don't have a all show you type of moment with anyone. I think the big one right now hasn't happened yet is that I told my dad, uh, back in, uh, 2010, that I was going to do something great that was going to be historic, like become president of the United States. And my dad probably doesn't remember this conversation, but uh, somehow Mark Zuckerberg came up earlier in the conversation. My dad said, well, I'd probably put my my money on Mark Zuckerberg for that one than, than over you. And in 2015, when Donald Trump was announced president of the United States, um, I clearly heard a voice in the room as if someone was in the room. This goes more into Joe's category than Nick's category. But I heard a voice in the room that said, uh, if he can win, then you can win. And I walked into my wife's bedroom, our bedroom. She was in the room and she was uh, on her computer. I said, Donald Trump just was announced 
uh, as president, next president, he won the election. And she looks up from a computer and she says, if he can win, then you can win. I said, why did you just say that to me? She says, I don't really know. So since 2015, we've been certain that in 2032, I'm going to run for and become president of the United States. And our focus has become creating an, a, a hugely profitable company, which we're in the process of doing, and an awakened coalition of people who really want to change the world and to support the transition of the current structure from a top-down, you know, bottom-up um, strategy. Um, and so, yeah, we'll see. I'm, I, I hope my dad's around for the inauguration in, in, in 2033 so he can be sitting there in the, in the, in the White House lawn. Uh, and there might be a wink, which is a little bit of a I told you so that might take place at that point. We'll see. Well, David, if you are president, is there a chance in 2033 that we could do an episode with you of you and I'm right from the Oval Office? I will tell you that if I am, you're the first person who's asked that. And if I am president of the United States, I 100%, you still have this podcast going. I will 100% come back and do an interview with you. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna want us in your corner, Nick. What is your birthday? Yeah, we are the we're Mister American Podcast here. My birthday is May twenty fifth, Memorial Day. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm July fourth. My favorite holiday. That there you Halloween. go. Yeah, I love it. You guys, you guys are my patriotic teammates, so I appreciate that. <laughs> there you we're go. gonna do. We're gonna do this. We just need Nick to start believing it because we know if Nick can believe it, then it's gonna happen. <laughs> There you go. Absolutely love it. Uh, David, we appreciate your time. This was a lot of fun. Uh, Nick is well on his way. I think he's more of a believer now than he was going in. We had a lot of fun with you. Uh, we wish you the best of luck in all your future endeavors and what you got going on. You will become president one day. Uh, you first heard it on this show. It's breaking news. We're uh, nine years ahead of it, but it will happen. Uh, but what we do here, David, is we give our guests the last words. Uh, so if there's anything else you would personally like to share or, or promote on behalf of yourself, by all means, go ahead. Uh, but once again, we appreciate your time. Thank you for doing this with us. I appreciate both you guys. Joe, you spoke to it before I did come out with my first book this year, which is A Changed Mind. Uh, it really, I poured everything into it. So for anybody who really wants to understand this personal growth game at a new level, um, to not just become aware, but go beyond self-awareness to change your brain and to re-engineer your reality. A changed mind is just a, it's a fantastic read. Um, and the other thing is if, you know, people want to get on our newsletter or check out more about, you know, what we're up to our annual event or anything that they're doing, how they can go deeper into this work, they can go to davidbayer.com, subscribe to our newsletter links on over to, you know, our, uh, our podcast, the changed mind. And it's been really just an honor to be here with you guys. I really appreciate the opportunity. We appreciate the time, David. I saw Joe is just signing up for the newsletter right now. Would not be surprised if Joe is at your next event in Texas in February, right? So That's right. how can people Coming sign up, up for that if they want to February go? February 23rd. Yeah, so we've got uh, we've got the event site, PowerfulLivingExperience.com. It was named a top three must-attend personal development event by Inc. Magazine. Uh, it's an unbelievable transformational experience. And there's nothing like you know putting yourself in a compressed environment, an immersive experience for three days both for learning and for transformation. And uh, yeah, I got to get Joe right up in the front row, jumping up and down with the rest of us. Oh, you know it. You know it. That's that's his way. That's his MO. He's been to a bunch of conferences. He's always had a great time. Perfect. I, I'm sure he'd have a great experience at yours. David, this has been amazing. We thank you so much for your time. That's going to do here for this episode of You Know I'm Right for our very special guest, David Bayer, from my co-host, Joe Calvary. I'm Nick Durst, and this has been You Know I'm Right. Thank you.